0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Amy, Bob, all those gathered, family and friends, what is marriage? I suppose I can start by first explaining what marriage isn't. It is not simply a legal agreement between two consenting adults. Neither is it simply an agreement between two people who love each other a lot. It is not how our society treats it, as a simple sign of love and affection, which, when that infatuation inevitably fades, can be broken with a sign of a pen. Marriage is not something we make. Marriage is an institution created by God. We enter into it, not the other way around. Like baptism or the Lord's Supper, marriage is something that comes from outside of ourselves. It comes from heaven into our earthly place. It is created by God and defined by God. So, where and when did God create it? And how does he define it? God created it before the fall into sin. Remember back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2. He created it when he formed Eve and gave her to Adam. Eve was created to help Adam in the garden. It was not so much that Adam needed some physical help, for he didn't have to uh, sow the field or anything like that until after the fall into sin. So he didn't need a physical helper, but rather he needed a companion with whom he could discuss and enjoy creation. We human beings, unlike other creatures, are unique in that we speak to each other with words and sentences, but we not only match male to female for the purposes of obvious physical purposes of things like sex and procreation, we have the capacity to discuss the beauty of creation, and we have the capacity to communicate and worship God. Marriage is a relationship characterized by conversation, but is more than a relationship of words, as we all know, but it is also a bond of the flesh, for it is written, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Flesh. There are two things here. First, that marriage is an institution which defines adulthood. Men are given the desire and the capacity to protect and procreate. Likewise, women are given the capacity to procreate and the desire to nurture. And so, we leave our mother and father and hold fast to our spouse. Second, that one flesh speaks... The, 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 the word one flesh speaks of nothing other than the sexual union, which bonds man and woman together, and from which life can proceed. Marriage, therefore, is a blessing. One which God is allowed to exist... Even after humanity rebelled and fell into sin, God did not take it from us as a punishment for sin, but he allowed it to continue and blessed it. It is a blessing from which flows more blessings, the blessing blessing that begets more blessings, including companionship, love, and, if you are blessed with them, children. In our gospel lesson from Matthew, Jesus is answering the question of whether it is lawful to divorce. That is the question that Jesus is answering. He echoes the same words in his response that were spoken or that were written in Genesis chapter 2. But he adds to it a command. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. What Jesus is teaching us here is that marriage is not simply an agreement, but a bond of flesh. A bond which cannot be broken without tremendous pain, akin to severing one's own limb. We know this, of course, anecdotally, all of us, how difficult and painful divorce is. But why? Why is it so painful? Because God created men and women to be together and ordained it and created that bond that they might stay together for life. He made the bond of the union so powerful because the fruit of that bond, children, must be protected. God desires that children be raised by his or her mother and father, that they be united together by flesh and by a vow made between them and God that they would not leave each other on a whim. This is why marriage was created to come before the marital union. Marriage is a union of flesh that begins with a commitment made between the bride and the groom, and between them and God. The reality is that marriage is not simply two people, but three people. Christ is the glue which holds marriage together. In our epistle reading from Ephesians chapter 5, Paul speaks of marriage in a profound way. In addition to it being a relationship of the flesh and companionship characterized by conversation, as I have already explained, it is also a picture, a participation in God's redemption in Christ Jesus. Marriage is a picture of Christ the bridegroom and the church his bride. Jesus died for his bride the church he did so to redeem her from sin to cleanse her from unrighteousness to save her from death just so the husband is to model this wife sorry model this love for his wife to concern himself with her well-being over his to protect her in body and spirit, to even be willing to sacrifice his life to protect his bride, to make sure that her soul also is cared for by being that spiritual head, by leading her in prayer, in the word, and bringing her and his children to church, to be united together, but also to their heavenly bridegroom, to Christ in communion, and in the reception of the Word of God. The church does little else but receive. The church receives the love of Christ and in response to this love renders to him obedience. Likewise, the wife is to model this submission by receiving love from her husband. Submission is, of course, a word in which we often cringe at because we think of it like slavery, but it is not so. Submission is simply receiving the love from one who loves you. Loves you by accepting his sometimes insufficient and faulty signs of affection and by obeying his loving demands. Paul says, this mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Profound indeed. For what this means is that we, lowly human beings and faulty husbands and wives, are given the privilege of participating in modeling Christ to each other and to everybody around us in marriage. In many ways, this description to us sounds a whole lot more like law than gospel. And that is because we are sinful. In many ways, this description by Paul seems unattainable. I explained it to one of my friends once, who was non-Christian, and he said, that sounds idealistic. But in reality, yes, it is, seems rather unattainable. We know just by virtue of existing and growing up as adults, that's how sin has marred relationships between men and women. We see and we know how sin has caused men to abuse instead of love. And how women then respond to this abuse by denigrating men instead of respecting them. This reality has caused so many to then come to this conclusion that marriage itself is cursed. But that should not be the conclusion. Marriage is not the problem, sin is the problem. And how, dear Christian, is sin dealt with? By forgiveness, both between husband and wife and between them in God. Marriage will fall apart, and quickly, if there is no forgiveness. Sin will grow wild, like a cancer, within the relationship, pushing the husband and wife further and further apart until they no longer love each other, but hate each other. What Satan does is destroy, and what he loves to destroy more than anything else is marriage. For when marriage is destroyed, think of the consequences. So is the family. And by extension, so is the church. And by extension, so is the community. And by, so, by extension, so is the entire country and world. Marriage is under attack. But God is fighting back. He does so with the sword of his word, which brings us to repentance and grants us forgiveness, 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 forgiveness. If you take anything away from this sermon, forgiveness must be spoken regularly in marriage. I mean explicitly. I forgive you. I forgive you. Thank you. Both between husband and wife— But then you also must come to church and be forgiven by God. For the source of forgiveness in our lives is found at the cross of Jesus. Only he has the authority to forgive sins. Only he is the source of forgiveness. Robert and Amy, you have decided to have your union together blessed by God. You are as we all are, flawed and sinful people, but you have Christ on your side. You've already shown by virtue of your regular church attendance that you're committed not only to each other, but to also hearing the word of God. And I commend you for this. It's wonderful. Let that be the foundation of your marriage. Let that define your relationship. For a marriage built on Christ is a sturdy marriage indeed. The Lord bless you. May the peace of God surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. In Jesus' name, amen.